Last year, we took a deep dive into the natural world with a book that is just so completely lovely. It lifts up the natural world around us, whether it's mammals or birds or what slithers and crawls, and it looks at what those animals and insects and reptiles do during the winter. It's a lovely book called All Creation Waits, and it is just a delight. It's the most Unitarian Universalist book written by an Episcopalian I have ever read. <laughs> it is wonderful and lovely. And so we tell stories again this year. Last year we looked at what slithered and crawled and perhaps was an insect, things that we wouldn't perhaps notice during the winter. And now we look to the birds around us, the flying things, perhaps some bats as well. And so they write, nearly every winter day, the small flock would arrive a flurry at the feeder outside the windows of Miss Milner's second grade classroom. Chickadee-dee-dee! They would sing, chickadee-dee-dee, we would reply. Chickadee-dee-dee, Miss Milner would tell us to keep on going as the chickadees sang. Small round bodies with large round heads capped in black. They were acrobats twirling upside down on the feeder and on pine boughs brushing it. They didn't fly away when you would press your nose to the window pane, but they looked you in the eye and they peeked. Perhaps Miss Milner was sparing us, children who still felt the suffering of creatures, but Miss Milner didn't tell us that every cold night, those cheery chickadees walked a tightrope between life and death to greet us the next morning. Half an ounce of feather, flesh, and hollow bone, a chickadee in your palm would feel like the weight of two nickels. Like any living thing lightweight relative to its length and wit, it loses heat quickly. So the little bird must eat continually during winter's short daylight hours to stoke the metabolic fires for the long night to come. Even so, on below zero nights, the fires can go out. Even tucked into the shelter of a tree hole, even with the ability to drop its temperature substantially to save energy, a chickadee on a winter night burns through all the calories it gathered through the day. Before dawn, as soon as there's light enough to see, the chickadee flutters out, famished, its tiny brain intent on seeds. Tiny, its brain, but bigger now in Advent than in spring. I tip my head at the chickadee, tipping its head quizzically at me. Inside that black skull cap, his or her hippocampus is bulged with a precise map of its half-mile territory an X marching each flap of tree bark or log crack where they've stored their stash of seeds. Since late summer, their brain's memory center has been growing, adding neurons to record the location of every single cache of seeds, thousands upon thousands of them. As they eat them up through the rest of winter, the map and the hippocampus will continue to shrink. Will the seed map be gone before the ice and snow. No wonder the chickadees at Miss Milner's feeder seemed ecstatic. Their winter stashes would last longer thanks to this bonanza. Best, the black oil sunflower seeds she poured out every morning. As they swirl and twirl and hop and flit about the feeder now, they seem a flock of St. Francis's. Like the saint wed to Lady Poverty, every winter day the equation of their existence is open. 
Will there be enough of what they need to take them through the dark night into tomorrow? Beyond reason, like the saint, they act as if the question is truly an opening, a freedom, a joy. Little brown bat. Darting through the dark, they take turns at top speed, drop into quick rolls, then pull up and sidestep in midair, maybe for fun and surely to snatch insects humming over the evening pond. Come fall, quickly cooling air stills these lives that bats eat. The little browns feel the chill too. Even in September, when they're heaviest, bats lose body heat faster than any other animal with a backbone. But a marathon flight to a climate where warmth and bugs are abundant would kill them. Instead, they find a place where all year the temperature, while cool, is reliable to the utmost, the nearest cave or abandoned mine. Males arrive first, then females with their pups. Scattered since April, they reunite in a great bat convention, as many as a quarter million swarming at the cave's mouth, flying in and out from sunset to sunrise for several days. It's a whirling dance of greeting, courting, and mating. Satisfied, they fly inside, finding chambers where the temperature is a constant 42 to 45 degrees Fahrenheit. They flip themselves upside down, toes clutching the nubbled rock, and fold their wings, skin membranes thinner than the thinnest spun silk. Across the cavern dome, they scooch and jostle, pressing close knitting themselves into a glossy brown fur stole. Males and females, old and young, some of different species, the many meld into one heat-sharing body. Even at rest, tucked within the one, little browns cannot sustain their usual inner life. Each bat must reset its normal, drastically. Together, hanging very still, they slow their resting hearts from 400 beats per minute to 20. They will stop breathing entirely for up to 48 minutes. On cold spring nights, they practice this self-preserving rest in small groups, huddling in trees or under eaves and waking when the day warmed. Now the congregation as a whole falls all the way through mere rest into deep torpor. Down 60 degrees Fahrenheit, each bat's body goes, goes as cold as the air of the cave. Water droplets condense on their fur. They sparkle and seem dead. And then 
prompted only by some inner stoker, they can bring their body furnaces back up to the flying heat in half an hour. This happens about every three weeks. A few wake, thirsty, and sip the water droplets from their fur. Their rustling wakes their next wing neighbors, who wake their neighbors. Soon the cave is a percussive chorus. The bats fly for a few hours, flushing toxins from their tissues. Then they settle back into a furred mass and fall again through the shaft of stillness, stopping just shy of oblivion's floor. The air of their crypt is changeless, but one day some mystery within them whispers, spring. Scouts fly out to test whether it's true. They bring back the news and the rest, thin and hungry after a six month fast, disperse on the fresh winds, but not before all their senses take note of the location. When cold threatens again, they'll remember the place of their communion and return. Northern Cardinal. Iron gray clouds wait the pond and field. Beyond them, the thicket and the naked trees endure the day. Heavy, my head bows. I watch my boots trudge. Then my, he my head snaps up and left. My eye snagged and carried by a scarlet flame lilting through the tall weeds till it lights, setting asway the leggy skeleton of a thistle and rides. When nearly all the world tramps down its color, this male cardinal flares, an extravagant gesture considering the hawk, whose dark eyes snaps to him faster than mine. His brilliance shouts his unshakable expectation of spring. In spring, he will court. The redder his plumage, the more ardently females will fly to him. So in the fall, when growing the feathers he'll wear in courting season, he fed himself almost exclusively fruits like dogwood berries, wild grapes, and multiflora rose hips, fruits that saturate him in scarlet. Extravagant, yes, but not reckless. To bring his flame through months of cold that strip the world to the bone, he must give deep attention to his body. The flight that caught my eye and heart was no joyride. Swaying on the thistle stalk, he did not sing, not in winter. Flying, singing, these burn energy, 
use him up. Clothed in the color of passionate abandon, he is in truth a conserver, asking in every action, does it have a purpose? Does it repay what it costs? To fuel his life, winter leaves him only seeds. As the cold sharpens, he needs more seeds to fuel his furnace to its 105 degree Fahrenheit survival heat. Just when other seed eaters also need more and snow is apt to cover the uneaten seeds. So, in late fall and early winter, he chooses to eat more than he needs, but exactingly. He knows he soon must wear a reserve of fat or he'll freeze. Too little fat and he will fall. But too much fat and he will also fall. <laughs> fat slows him. Fat slurs his dart and weave. And the hawk, watching the open fields of weed and grain, watching the backyard feeders, dives quick and clean. So each day, the cardinal weighs his reserve. He senses precisely how much fat is spread beneath his thin skin. Also, he takes a measure of the temperature and the length of the day, sensing how much winter <clears throat> remains. He places all he knows in a finely felt balance, which tells him how much he must eat to add an exact increment of fat. By fractions of grams, he grows himself so that he is weightiest exactly when winter is most harsh and food meager. He aims for a scalpel's edge, just heavy enough each week of intensifying cold to fuel his purposes, just light enough to whisk away should talons fall from the sky. The cardinal holds on to, as the thistle slows its sway. Maybe he's weighing himself, noting how far the stalk dipped when he landed, how fast it bounds back. If he can navigate the narrow path between too thick and too thin, too much and too little, he'll arrive at his long expected spring. He'll blaze out then and dazzle, bobbling, flirting, cavorting, singing, what cheer, what cheer, what cheer? There is indeed a stillness in the air, and I'm sure what you know what I'm talking about. A stillness permeating everything as the sun sets, the cold settles in, the frost blankets grass and fields. Birdsong is sparser and the bare trees like arteries reaching through the air. 
are dotted with wonderfully large leafy nests this time of year, a squirrel burrowing within as evening falls. Today may not feel like the beginning of winter. We've had frostier, colder days, and it will certainly not feel like winter this week as our temperatures creep into the 60s once more. But perhaps this warmth is a nice respite before what comes next. This first day after the winter solstice means it is officially winter, and the days are lengthening oh so gently. There is more sunlight, though our eyes may not notice it yet. And though these next few days will lull us into the hope of returning warmth, the evening brings the stillness, the silence, the quiet of cold. The winter stars are rising earlier and earlier once more. The Pleiades, the seven sisters, greet us. The faithful hunter Orion chases the night sky. The winter solstice is the occasion, the reason for the season, the crucible from which the many holy days and celebrations we see this time of year were poured out. And poured out they were, taking shapes as varied as Yule, Hanukkah, Christmas, Kwanzaa, days that have passed from memory and days too many to name. Here, that still communities pause and notice, take note of the season, and go on living. I love the winter holidays. There is within them a deep but dazzling darkness as well as points of light to guide the way through the season. The stories are magical, mythical, and yet beyond their impossibility, they always speak to the human condition in the northern hemisphere these winter days. Yule and other earth-centered observances ask us to rest in the darkness, for fear not, what is good and green has not perished forever, and life will endure. Hanukkah admonishes us to not give up hope in the improbable, even as we pick up the pieces from the world falling apart around us. Christmas reminds us that each night a child is born is a holy night, and that sometimes the journey of following a star will reveal something not glorious, but humble. Kwanzaa speaks to remember who we are and where our roots dig deep into the earth. Each holy day, each holy night, each message of love and hope comes back to this moment, this day after the solstice. And still there is a somber realization when the days begin to lengthen once more. The coldest days are still ahead of us. Snowfall, ice storms in Kentucky, slush and sleet, a polar vortex here and there, air so cold it might ache to breathe. Such days are coming, and we, perpetual travelers, venture into them with no choice. Perhaps that is why we sing songs in the darkness. Songs to remind us to at once lift us from despair and to temper our resilience. And though I love the stories and myths we tell time and time again, year after year, I can think of no better place for more truth, more inspiration than the natural world around us this world, this life that we inhabit. It is in simple observations, as we heard, that of the chickadee, the little brown bat, or the northern cardinal, that life continues each day through the longest nights, that we find some hard truths in the darkness as well. 
We're reminded that life is precious and fragile, that life is struggle. Life is joy and sorrow and none of the above all at once. The chickadee must busy itself through each day not to freeze each night. The little brown bat must find some respite in community. The northern cardinal blazes red against the snow under the watchful eyes of birds of prey. We human beings are no different. We work and toil. We seek refuge in communities of hope. And we live dangerously beautiful temporary, blazing lives. This is the threat and the promise of winter. The coldest nights will come. But not all is lost, because life goes on. Many of us come to this moment and perhaps feel this whole year has been one long winter. When will the daylight lengthen in our hearts and minds, we wonder? When will we not have to work and toil constantly seek out refuge or be reminded of just how fragile all of this, all of this is. We ask, and the universe does not respond. So we light candles, sing songs, stoke fires. We observe the world around us, feather and fur, what slithers and crawls, the bare limbs of trees. Perhaps a sprig of holly or a blooming witch hazel gives us a clue, but still everything remains silent. Until one bright day, the sun shines, and our hearts know what we've been singing for all our lives. The solstice and the holy days that are her children are an invitation to reflect, to question, and to go deep, to listen to the quiet moments in the snowfall, to find a ray of sunlight and soak it up amidst the chill. To face a common center and claim our strength. Out of the dark, dark of winter we sang, dawns the spring. After the time of silence, hearts will sing. The sun will shine again, dear friends. Amen. And blessed be.